Welcome back to Roshcast, episode number 39. As we mentioned at the end of episode 38, this won't be a regular old Roshcast. Instead of our regularly scheduled content, we put together an interview with Dr. Adam Rosh, the namesake of the Rosh Review, former program director, and most importantly, an emergency physician who has dedicated the last 20 years of his life to education. While this episode will not contain our usual board review content, it will include tactical advice on preparing for and taking your board exam. Welcome, Dr. Rosh, and thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Jeff and Nachi, it is truly a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for having me. All right, Dr. Rosh, I don't know if you're ready for this, but this is going to be some hard-hitting questions. So let's get right to the point. What were your in-service scores when you were back in your resident days? Oh, boy. It's a great question. I was uh, thinking whether you're going to ask me that or not. And to be honest with you, I'm happy to share my scores, but there's more to that question, I think, that's important for listeners to, to understand. So, you know, as an intern, I definitely struggled in residency. And gosh, I think my intern year score on the in-training exam was maybe 68, 69. But this is what I realized early on. We're so used to a structured curriculum in our education, whether it was in high school where an entire year's curriculum was then fit into one semester of undergraduate college. And then a year of undergraduate college ended up fitting into one semester of medical school. And the big change that happens from medical school to residency is the lack of a structured curriculum. In medical school, we were given an itinerary, right? We were given a syllabus of monthly tests. And, you know, every three weeks, we were able to read up and end up taking an exam on content that we specifically were told to study. This all changes in residency. You show up for residency And you're on different clinical rotations. You're maybe told to read a textbook. And in the end, there's no structure. And the person who creates that structure soonest is the person who ends up being most comfortable in residency the soonest. And so my advice is in residency, you're going to struggle. I struggled uh, for at least 12 months of trying to find and defining a curriculum that worked for me. And so some residency programs will provide you a curriculum. Otherwise, it's going to be up to you. And and I'm not just talking about just a list of chapters in Rosen's that maybe correspond to the weekly conference. I'm talking about a day-to-day curriculum that you could spend 30 minutes every day on throughout the year. And really, for your first two years, it's going to be most critical. And if you could build this foundation of clinical knowledge and of book knowledge early on, uh, you're going to build confidence. And that confidence then is going to make for a much more fulfilling residency training. And so early on, I think it's critical to build that curriculum. And as far as my in-training scores go, and I think the trend is most important for people, I think I scored a 68 or 69 early on. And every year after that, there was an improvement. And I went to a four-year program. And I actually, I think I scored in my fourth year, maybe one point higher than my third year. But it's okay. It's pretty much accepted that when you first start out, that you're going to score probably in the 60s or 70s. And the critical part is to make sure you're improving over time. If you're not improving, then I think you need to kind of think about 
what techniques you're using uh, to study. And whatever you do, do not leave it until your last year of residency to start diving in and reading. One of the most valuable pieces of advice that I received as a intern was from a senior resident who said to me, uh, she said, one thing that I wish I would have done is to start reading early. And I think that's something we probably all hear and few of us end up doing it. And those that end up doing it uh, reap the rewards in the end. So creating a structured curriculum and starting to read early and watching your in-training scores trend up is probably the most important things to look out for. I know that a lot of that rings true for me, and I think it probably rings true for Jeff as well. And where where would you say the question bank fits into all of this? Would you say that people should start reading and reviewing the content first, or should they start out with the question bank and then take it from there? That's a great question. And of course, there's going to be a natural bias in my answer, but I wouldn't have created Ross Review if I didn't think questions had such a powerful role in learning. And I think questions serve two important roles. The first is that they help to identify the knowledge that you do not know. And the second is they help to solidify or reinforce the knowledge that you do know. So the best use of a question bank is in conjunction with not only a textbook or a journal, but your clinical experience. And I want to spend one or two minutes talking about a very powerful system that anyone could apply in medical school or residency or even as an attending physician. And residency, I think it has the greatest impact if you could implement a system like this. The first part is um, just buy yourself like one of those flip notebooks that a waiter or waitress may use in a restaurant to take orders and make sure it could fit into your pocket or your scrub pocket during a shift. And every patient you see during a shift, just record, you know, for HIPAA sake, you probably just want to record maybe a, a first name and last initial or maybe a patient number. And then write down in that same area on the piece of paper what their diagnosis was or really what their chief complaint was and then what the diagnosis is that you made and then what their disposition was. And just keep track whether you see 10 patients a shift or 20 or 30 patients a shift. Try and do this for every single patient. When you get home that day from the shift, and ideally you do it when you get home that day, you want to go through that notebook and pick one or two patients. And within those patients, you want to pick one or two conditions that you want to focus on. And the technique that I think is so critical is something called layering. And you pick a condition, let's say it's an anterior shoulder dislocation. You had a patient with that, and maybe you're an intern and a lot of this was new to you. Or maybe you were a senior resident and you were kind of guiding the care. But you open up Rosen's or Tintinelli and you read the chapter. It's probably one, one and a half pages on anterior shoulder dislocation. You get pretty much a general overview of the condition. And after that, what you do is you open up, let's say, a radiology textbook such as Schwartz's Emergency Radiology. I think David Schwartz is the author. And then you read about interpreting shoulder x-rays, both the normal presentation and abnormal presentation of shoulder films. And then read about what an anterior shoulder dislocation is going to look like on plain film. And by doing this, you're also going to look at the anatomy as well. 
And then after you read the radiology textbook, open up, let's say, a Roberts and Hedges, a procedure notebook. And Roberts and Hedges, I'm sorry, procedure textbook. Roberts and Hedges not only is going to talk about, let's say, reduction, but it's going to give you some pathophysiology and anatomy as well, a little more in depth than Rosen's or Tintinelli will. And when you go through the Roberts and Hedges, you're going to learn about reduction techniques. You're going to learn about complications of anterior shoulder dislocation. And now what you've done is you've kind of layered the first approach of Rosen-Sentinelli, then the radiology, and now the procedure, complications, maybe some anatomy of the neurovascular bundle that you're working with. And you start painting a much clearer picture of anterior shoulder dislocation. And now comes the role of the question bank. After you've done all this, just kind of conclude your studying by taking one or two questions on anterior shoulder dislocation. And what this is gonna do is, it's gonna reinforce what you just learned, number one. And number two, you're gonna identify any information that you may have missed in your reading. And really a question bank is one of the few things that could do that, right? Because if you're reading a textbook or a journal article, you don't know what you don't know, and it's easy to miss areas. And the question bank allows you to identify those areas that you just don't know or maybe read and didn't truly comprehend. So I think there's a powerful role for question banks in residency education along with preparing for a board exam. Wow, Dr. Rush, that's a, there's a lot to go on there. I've got some follow-up questions, but let me just start with this one. I mean, if you took one patient from every one of your shift, God only knows how many shifts over four years. I mean, you must have a stack of notebooks to the ceiling. <laughs> So this is what I ended up doing. You know, here's one of the big differences. I was in residency from 2004 to 2008, and it was at NYU Bellevue. And believe it or not, at that time, Bellevue didn't have any electronic medical record. And so all of our charting was done on paper. What's a paper chart? <laughs> <laughs> so having a little notebook was not, uh, I wasn't an outcast. Now I think I'd be an outcast or someone would be an outcast if they were carrying around a notebook recording their patients. Nonetheless, I ended up with about 15 or 20 notebooks throughout my residency. But this is kind of the un underlying all of it is the reason why I started the notebook system, believe it or not, was because I was very insecure, I was seeing patients and I was making mistakes. And so I learned very early on, probably the second week of residency, that if I recorded a mistake, if I recorded what an attending just told me I did wrong and then came home and documented that and looked at that from time to time, I would reduce and limit the amount of mistakes I would make throughout residency. So in a sense, I was just trying to capture all of the possible mistakes I could make. And of course, that's impossible. But at least I was capturing the majority or at least the common mistakes that I was making. And, you know, I took it one step further. And I encourage anyone who is interested in deliberate practice to do something like this. Not only is recording the patient encounter in these flip notebooks one important thing you could do, but then it would get moved to an Excel spreadsheet. And so every single shift at Bellevue, I think I only saw maybe eight to 10 patients a shift because we were at the time, I think maybe this changed, but at the time we would also do our own ECGs, we would draw our own blood, 
we would use that uh, pneumatotube system and send our own blood as well, filling out lab forms by paper, printing out stickers. And so it would only allow us to see about 10 patients per shift. But those 10 patients, I would come home and record in an Excel file. Now, at first, this seemed, you know, what is the purpose? It may be some busy work, but it was interesting. After one year and then two years and looking back on all of the different patients I was seeing, and I started writing notes about each of those patients. And you start seeing patterns. And by the end of four years, I documented probably 95% of my patient encounters by where I was working in the emergency department. You know, there's different sides at Bellevue and by which hospital I was working at, whether it was uh, at the time it was called Tisch Hospital, uh, the academic center and in Bellevue Hospital and also the VA. And I was able to go back and look at all the different types of patients I was seeing, the diagnosis, the chief complaint, and collect all of those tips that I made for myself, all of those insights that I made for myself over the course of four years. And I think in the end, it was about four to 5,000 patients. And it ended up putting together an abstract probably at the end of 2007 and presented it at CORD. But it was one of the really most insightful things that I did for myself in residency training. And I still have that Excel spreadsheet. From time to time, I'll go back and uh, just review it uh, because there's really, it's filled with pearls. And you know you go through Every single shift, you collect one or two or three pearls. And, you know, after a few years, you, you end up with dozens of these, hundreds of these. And in fact, something that I love seeing out there now that was started by, I don't know who started it, but I know Alium and maybe Michelle Lynn may have been the first one to do this, but so many people are participating in it, are the post-it pearls. And those post-it pearls, it's really crowdsourcing of those post-it pearls. And I would love it if someone out there, this is a great job for someone, great opportunity, to take all those post-it pearls, put them together in maybe one blog post or one notebook, update that continually. And those are some of the foundation and tenets of emergency care, right? There's lots of complexities in, in, in how we deliver care, but the bread and butter that's what we're doing most often. And so those post-it pearls are especially useful for trainees. So Jeff, I will summarize that with uh, essentially I accumulated lots of notebooks. And I remember when I was moving from New York, my wife asked me what I was going to do with those notebooks. And I still kept them. And they're in my basement right now in a box collecting dust. <laughs> <laughs> you'll go back to them someday, and I'm sure you'll appreciate having them. I'm sure. We got to update it and make, maybe make an app. So if anyone's listening out there, we need an <laughs> app for emergency medicine resident. HIPAA compliant, of course. That's right. Uh, but we strayed a little bit. We want to keep this uh, question bank centric if we can. So when I sit down to study, it's always like, well, maybe I'll do five questions, maybe 10. Maybe maybe I should do 20. Is there any like literature on this? Should I do what I can fit in? Because you know the more you can get in, the better. But you don't want it to just be chaos and randomly doing one question here, one question there. Help me out. I'm just like, I'm all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's no one answer to that question. I think everyone has their own way of learning. There's no one right way of learning. Uh, I could tell you this, that there's different styles and types of learning. Meaning if you're going to be doing day-to-day -day learning, such as what I described earlier with recording a patient coming home from your shift and maybe reading a chapter out of Rosen's and then doing, you know, five questions. 
that's one way to utilize the question bank. I think most people want to use the question bank for preparing for a specific exam. Take the in-training exam or maybe the medical student clerkship exam uh, or even the initial certification exam. And when you're preparing for one of these exams, you want to use the question bank in a way that fits into your study schedule. Everyone has their own study schedule. And so one technique that I recommend is to, let's say, read a chapter in a review book and then do questions. And I describe this in a blog post called How to Increase Your In-Training Exam Score by 10 Points. If you just type in Google how to increase your in-training exam score and ROSH together, this blog post will come up. And so, you know, in this case, I think it's you're just going back and forth. Ten questions you answer and then you read a new chapter or an area of your review book and then ten questions and then go back. Um, there's also a time where you're going to be doing many more than than just 10 or 20 questions at a time. And that is going to be when you are mimicking actual test conditions. So the ABEM initial certification exam, I believe, has 305 questions. And it's broken down into two blocks. And so I think it's really important that maybe two weeks before you take your exam, that you go through 305 questions and you do so in a way that mimics the actual exam. And so in this case, you do 150 questions at a time and then maybe take a small break and then do another 150 questions at a time. And so doing this as a way to prepare yourself for an exam where you're going to do you know many questions at a time versus really strategic review of a specific topic where you're only doing five or 10 or 20 questions at a time. It just varies on on what your strategy is at that moment. And just going back to the blog post that you mentioned, we should just add that there's a lot of great content on the Rosh Review blog at roshreview.com slash blog. There are some pearls up there with some images that Jeff and I post and that are posted by other people. So be sure to check that out. And I know you already spoke a little bit about the ABEM certification exam and how that's put together. As we're going through the question bank, do you think that we should try to do questions that are randomly generated, which is similar to how the in-training exam would be, or should we go through a topic-specific and try to cover cardiology first and gastroenterology next and so forth? So, Nachi, I think some of this overlaps in that, you know, if you're working on a specific topic, you just had a patient with esophageal varices, then, you know, you, you're going to want to do questions on esophageal varices, but also it's useful to do questions on other GI-related topics, even if you're studying esophageal varices. So you want to do questions on gallbladder, you want to do questions on liver, because in reality, they're, they're all related. And by reviewing topics from different angles, it's very helpful. And I, I use an analogy, it's you know, kind of like an ECG, right? An ECG, you have your precordial leads, right? And they're taking a, you know, kind of a one slice view of the heart. Uh, and then you have your limb leads and they're taking another view of the heart and it's creating a three-dimensional picture of the heart. And studying should be the same way. And so if you're studying esophageal varices, it's really useful then to think about everything that's surrounding the esophagus and varices 
and include things like the liver and gallbladder and spleen. It just helps to solidify knowledge and to really understand the knowledge a lot better. So that's definitely one aspect of it. I think if you're doing a broad board review and your exam is going to include questions that it could go from, you know, one question is about pneumothorax, another question is about acetaminophen overdose, and another question is about non-accidental trauma, you want to prepare in that same way. And that's called interleaving. And emergency medicine is all about interleaving. And that's actually one of the reasons why many people struggle early on in residency because it's not like everything we do for the first month has to do with you know learning about the gastrointestinal system like we did in medical school. One day it could be GI, another day it could be trauma. And so when we study, I think you know taking 25 or 50 questions at a time, selecting from you know random topics, maybe 17 or 20 of the EM model topics, is a very useful way to prepare for a board exam and definitely mimics the actual questions in a board exam. So that's when we're first getting to approach the question bank. But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, let's say you have a PGY4, they're already feeling bad about being in residency an extra year than the rest of the country, and they think they're really crushing the Ross review. Do you think they should go back? Was it really worth doing it again the fourth time? I mean, is there still value that you're going to get after seeing it? You know, Let's say you've done it three years in a row. You do it the fourth year. It just feels like we might be just repeating ourselves. And is that worth my time since time is probably the most valuable thing we all have? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. So uh, that's a really great question. And before I dive into that, one thing I just want to make clear for the Rosh Review QBank specifically is that each year we update the question bank with brand new content. And we do that purposely because of the question you just asked. So ideally, we want an intern to never see the same question as when they're a second year than as when they're a third year and a fourth year. Of course, there are some questions that we leave in that we believe represent the highest yielding content. But overall, it's brand new content every single year. But let's take the residents or students who are exceptionally spend a lot of time studying and are engaged in this question bank and get through the entire question bank. What happens to those people? Uh, What should they do? I think the best use of time in those cases is really two things. First is once you get through that question bank, the next step is to focus on the content that you got incorrect. Go back, review that content you got incorrect, create an exam solely on those questions, make sure you got those questions uh, right the next time that you do it, or at least you're understanding the material so that you could get it right. The other thing is, I think it's still okay to go through a question bank a second time, mostly because there are going to be questions that you got right. However, you didn't get them right because you knew the content. You got them right because you maybe guessed or it just so happens your guess was the correct answer, Uh, but you may not truly understand the content. So going through a second time, you may not select that same answer and you may get that wrong. And then that's going to alert you that you need to go through that content again. And lastly, if you've gone through the question bank once or twice, my recommendation is to set it aside, put it down 
give yourself at least two weeks, maybe up to four weeks if you have the time and don't even think about it. And what this does is allow you to forget content. Oftentimes we're afraid to forget or we think forgetting isn't the right thing to do. But when you're learning and preparing for an exam in particular, forgetting is very important because it's the retrieval of that knowledge later on that actually solidifies and strengthens those synapses that are being created when you're learning new information. And every time we have to retrieve information that was forgotten, we end up remembering that information even stronger. And so if you've gone through the question bank once, put it down, come back to it in four weeks, and I bet you there are going to be questions that you forgot the answer to, topics that you no longer understand the concepts as well as you did. And that helps to reveal kind of the illusion of knowing information. By forgetting, you then focus in on what you think you know, and you end up learning that you really don't know it anymore. And you go through the questions again, and you reinforce and solidify what you already know, and that you identify what you really don't know. And I don't think people should put down and, and not go back to a question bank simply because they went through the content once. Uh, it's really critical to work closely with it all the way up to their actual exam. Besides doing questions and obviously listening to Jeff and Alan Roshkast, are there any other study methods that you'd recommend? You know, there's not one correct study method out there. Different people are going to learn in different ways. But I think the takeaway here is that preparing for an exam should be a holistic endeavor. I think in addition to identifying what material you're going to use, whether it's one type of review book or textbook or one type of board review course or question bank, do the research in advance. Identify which one is going to be best for you, whether it's a question bank, whether it's a video review course, whether it's an in-person live course. Everyone has their own preference and everyone is going to benefit in different ways from each one of these. So it's very important to identify which one is going to be best for you. And so experiment beforehand. Uh, before it actually matters, do each of those different types of courses uh, and see which one works best for you. I also think and it's becoming much harder to do today, to identify blocks of time that are uninterrupted. And today we have many people vying for our attention, whether it is a text message alert, a new email, our social media feeds. All of these things are vying for our attention. And what I really think of, they're time robbers, right? They're stealing our time. And one of the places that you'll see this most is your inbox, right? I mean, I think most of us probably get at minimum 10 new emails a day. And most of us are probably at least over 100. And those are people or organizations that are stealing your time. They want a response and that's precious time. And so whether you give them that or not is, is up to you. And when you're preparing for a high stakes exam, it's critical that you set aside a few hours every day to dedicate yourself to be focused and learning the material. So when you talk about you know, other study methods or, or resources, honestly, the resources, there's plenty of them out there. The rest of this, 
your success is really going to depend on your environment that you create for yourself. So you want material, techniques, resources that you're comfortable with. And then you want to make sure you carve out the time that's uninterrupted, that you could focus and make sure you cover everything you need to cover leading up to the exam. And there's actually one more thing that I want to include. And this also really is talking about the holistic approach to studying. And while you're studying, preparing, spending hours at a time, it's important to take a break and exercise. And exercise can mean just a a walk for 20 minutes in a day. Why is that so important? It's because that break away from intense studying allows your brain to start digesting all of the information that you've just accrued. And during that walk, while you're not thinking about studying, your brain is actually still processing all that information. And I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but a lot of times when I take my mind off some intense work that I'm doing, I end up having my best ideas about that work. And so I think the last part of, of, or another part of really the holistic approach to studying for an exam uh, is adding in some exercise or just a 20 to 30 minute walk. That's all you need. Definitely important. I think a lot of us often triage exercise out of our life as residency consumes more and more time. All right, so we're getting towards the end here, so I want to start to wrap up a little bit. Do you see any exciting changes coming to Rosh Review users in the near future that we should all be on the lookout for? Yeah, so Jeff, you know, our commitment is to always provide more value than we take. And, you know, the pipeline is filled and we're going to be rolling out some really exciting new features in the coming months. And while we're on Roshcast here, there's one new feature in particular that's going to directly impact Roshcast listeners. And this is going to be the integration of Roshcast into the Rosh Review user dashboard. This, this is really exciting. And I think this is going to be the, this is a bridge between the QBank and the audio review uh, that you guys do so well. So I'm really looking forward to this and all of the other really amazing features that we plan to roll out. Most importantly, though, we want to hear from users, people who are on the front lines, experiencing the content and the interface. Any ideas that you have, anything that would make your life easier, just let us know. You could uh, you know, email me directly at adam at roshreview.com or send an email to Jeff and Nachi at roshcast at roshreview.com. We're really looking forward to some of those exciting changes in the Rosh Review dashboard and including Roshcast. We talked about a lot of stuff today. Is there anything else that you want to add before we close out? There's so much more we could talk about. I think we hit on some very important topics here, but you know, learning and education, studying for a board exam, we could talk hours and hours uh, on this. And, and it's an area that, that I love. And I know you guys are um, right in the middle of it right now. So I think one important takeaway is, is just to note that you know the tools and techniques that you use to prepare for high stakes exams are going to be useful for really any challenge and anything difficult in your life. And just to always refer back to them and think about them and how they could be applied to many other areas. There's also one other thing I want to mention here is that, you know, underlying everything we talked about, I think whether you're starting residency or preparing for an exam, always remind yourself why you do 
what you do. This is one of the most important things that you could do when you're going through difficult times or stressful times. And we all know that residency and medical school and you know even beyond residency, we all go through this. And remind yourself that you make sacrifices all the time. You're watching your friends who are outside of medicine, who are often working in lucrative jobs, buying new cars, buying big houses, sleeping in on weekends. You know, you forego all of this because you have a sense of mission about your work. And, you know, as emergency physicians, you are the safety net of society. You, know, you have to be proud of this commitment and remind yourself of it often, especially when you're most tired, especially when you're feeling most stressed. Keep reminding yourself why you're doing this. And I think that will get you to your destination. Always important to keep the big picture in mind. All right. Thanks, Dr. Rosh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us and all the listeners today. We covered a ton of stuff. I mean, at the beginning, we talked about taking home a pearl from every shift and going home and reading about it, whether it be five minutes, 10 minutes, uh, and reading across the board, both Roberts and Hedges for the techniques and anatomy and supplementing that with Tintinales or Rosens and even a little radiology textbook, and then bring it all together with the question bank to see what you missed and also uh, refine the stuff you just learned. And then we also talked about the holistic approach, incorporating exercise, uh, even if it's just 20 minutes of a walk, the importance of that. And then setting aside dedicated time, not really, you know, you got to put your Twitter down, your Instagram down, you put your phone aside and really studying because it's you, there's no replacement for real intense focus. And for those of you guys out there still listening, uh, feel free to send us any additional questions to Roshcast at roshreview.com and we'll either address them during the next podcast or the next episode of Roshcast or we'll have to bring Dr. Rosh on for act two. Definitely. And if there's enough interest, I'd really love to come back and do a part two. And although this episode was a change from our normal routine, we'll be back soon with more high quality review. As always, be sure to check out the blog at roshreview.com slash blog for questions from prior episodes, images and tables, as well as bonus teaching points. There are also tons of other great free resources there to help prepare you for the boards and the wards. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Roshcast and at Rosh Review. As always, you can email us at Roshcast at roshreview.com with any feedback, corrections, or suggestions. And you can also help us pick questions by identifying ones you would like us to review. Write Roshcast in the submit feedback box as you go through the question bank. And lastly, if you have a minute, make sure to rate us and leave comments on iTunes to help spread the word about Roshcast. We'll be back soon with more high quality review.